0: My dad was a reporter, so I grew up knowing the importance of a free press. We obviously have the tragic case of a journalist who worked right here at the Washington Post, Jamal Khashoggi, and it's a particular concern. that If you're confirmed, uh, will the Justice Department jail reporters for doing their jobs?
1: Um, I think that... uh, you know, I, I know there are guidelines in place, and I, I can conceive of, of situations where, uh, you know, as a, as a last resort, uh, uh, and and where a news organization has run through a red flag or something like that, knows that they're putting out stuff that will hurt the country. There might be a, there, there could be a situation where, where someone would be held in contempt
2: That was Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar this week grilling William Barr, President Trump's pick, to be the new attorney general. Although it got little attention, it was one of the more revealing moments in the marathon eight-hour-long confirmation hearing for the man Trump has nominated to take over the Justice Department. Cool and supremely self-confident, Barr did much to reassure senators that he won't serve as the president's puppet, pledging that he would not interfere in special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, and memorably proclaiming, I will not be bullied, as was his predecessor, Jeff Sessions. But as Klobuchar's soft spoken but skilled questioning showed, Barr remains a hardcore ideological conservative with an expansive view of executive power, views that could, under the right circumstances, cause him to imprison journalists. What did Senator Klobuchar make of his response to that and a host of other questions she and her Democratic colleagues posed, including Barr's refusal to commit to the full public release of Mueller's report? We'll ask Senator Klobuchar herself, just as she seems poised to make a momentous decision to launch her own campaign for president. And we'll discuss what Barr's confirmation could mean for the future of the Russia probe with another key member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Sheldon Whitehouse. Those are our subjects on this episode of Skullduggery.
1: Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not.
3: I did not have sexual
1: relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else.
2: Senator Klobuchar, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery. Well,
0: thank you, Michael. It is great to be on.
2: (laughs) Look, a lot to talk about, but I want to start out with that extraordinary Q&A you had with Barr about jailing journalists. What did you make of his response?
0: Well, it was surprising that there was this long pause, and I'm sure every journalist in America who's already been under assault by various comments by the president, both news organizations and journalists, kind of thought, uh oh. And then he eventually just sort of vaguely said he would look at the guidelines, yeah. but that maybe there could be cases where he would put a journalist in jail for doing their job. And what I was really trying to get at was when then Senator Sessions, now Attorney General Sessions, had his confirmation hearing who later became Attorney General, he um, also was slightly vague in how he answered that. And then he had already announced that he was reviewing the guidelines from the Justice Department. Right. And um, that goes way back to the Obama administration, that Holder had issued some new guidelines that was after a few scandals and things that were going on with subpoenaing journalist records. And so they then tightened the guidelines. They said the head of criminal had to always consult before the subpoena was issued and so that is still in place as far as we know. And what happened under Attorney General Sessions was he said he was going to review them, and that was concerning. And then that's what I was trying to get at with the nominee. Right. And so obviously, I'm going to have some follow up questions <laughs> in writing so that there is no, as you say, skullduggery. Well, we will, all. We will, so I, will all t- be I will try to follow that
2: up. reading that. very closely his mm-hmm. responses to your follow ups.
3: Well, yeah, Senator, I mean, you've had now a chance to, to question Bill Barr for a couple of days. Uh, you've heard him talk a lot. So at this point, is he qualified to be Attorney General?
0: Well, he's certainly experienced and served as attorney general in the past, but the issue is is he going to do his job, especially at a time where we? he and I had a discussion way back when he was up for a nomination the first time decades ago. Uh, he talked about how the job was to be the president's lawyer. And I pointed out, as we know through history, often the attorney general is not just a president's lawyer. There are times when that's in conflict with being the people's lawyer, like during Watergate. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that such issues might come up um, uh, with this White House. And so... He um, said he understood the difference between the two of them. So overall, I have some very serious concerns. I want to finish looking at the whole record. There were a few moments I stepped out, and I always like to prepare my reasons for why I don't support someone or do. But I have some serious concerns based on that he wouldn't say he would follow the ethics advice of the career lawyers in the department when it came to recusal regarding the Russia investigation. And also, he didn't 100%, not even... 80% Eighty percent commit to making the report public. Well, let me just ask you this, because he has said that he wouldn't be bullied
3: by mm-hmm. Trump. He that said was he, he said that if <laughs> he said that if Trump intervened with the Mueller investigation, which some would argue he already has, that that would be an abuse of power, a breach of his constitutional duty. I mean, doesn't this actually sound like a patsy for the president? And leave, leaving aside the fact that he might try to send Isakov and me to prison, <laughs> I mean, can you do better than Bill? Than can you do you better? send to prison? I don't know about that. Um, we well, I, models, I, uh, uh, because so otherwise, oh, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you know, uh, Matthew Whitaker stays okay. in, in office, right? Yes,
0: yeah. clearly, uh, this is a better alternative to uh, Mr. Whitaker, who is a walking, talking conflict, and should not be in that job as, and I put Quote acting. And so, but on the other hand, when you look at some of these answers and you look at this cataclysmic time that we're approaching with our Constitution and our democracy, you really want to have someone that full-throated commits to releasing that report. That is the best thing. And I will say there were a lot of good things he said. He, he has respect for Mueller. He will let the investigation finish. He made noises about releasing the report. But when you really read what he says, there was some equivocation about that. And then last, his comments about immigration reform, to me, felt like immigration hook, line, and sinker with the president. I actually brought out comments from his prior boss, George H.W. Bush, mm-hmm. who would say things about how immigrants were the bridge between the past and the future, about how you don't want to have seven- and eight-year-olds live in fear of being deported. And he clearly did not go that way of his old boss. He stuck with the new boss when it came to immigration. So I think those reasons alone are going to be a lot of concern for a number of Democrats. So concerns,
2: I mean, your colleague Senator Harris said this morning she's going to vote against. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, right now, winning? It's
0: a, a very a difficult for me to imagine voting for him, but I do want to finish my commitment to reading the rest of the transcript.
2: Difficult to imagine yes. voting for him exactly. right now, which means you would be stuck with Matt Whitaker as attorney general.
0: No, no, no. I, or acting attorney what, general. No, no. I think you can... If, if you he's look not at the, confirmed. Yeah. Well, okay. First of all, you got to look at the votes. Remember, it's yeah. a 51 confirmation anyway. and right. there yeah. seems to be widespread Republican support. Right. So a decision that I may make to vote against him, I don't think will Keep Matt Whitaker in place. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Look, everybody seems to be hanging a lot on the release of the Mueller report, as though that's going to answer all our questions about Trump and Russia. Barr indicated that that report may not be so revealing anyway. That it could just be. A but Barr hasn't curse. seen it, right? Well, well, Barr right, shouldn't know anything right.
0: about what's in that report. But
2: neither has anybody else. So that's I'm just correct. saying it's it's not at all clear that that is going to resolve all the many questions we have. Have. Which raises the question, what is Congress's job here? Is it just to sit around waiting for Robert Mueller to complete his investigation and write his report? Or do you have you know, a <laughs> constitutional duty to get right at some of the very serious issues about the president and his relations with Russia?
0: Well, I would say both, because you do not want to interfere with Mueller's job, which is to get all the evidence he needs to make decisions. He's already issued 33 indictments. Yeah. And you want to be able to, you don't want to have what happened during, I think it was the Iran Contra hearings where yeah. the uh, congressional hearings interfered yeah. with that. So you want to let him do his job. At the same time, two major things. When it is possible to get information to the public without interfering with the investigation, you should do it. You can see what's happening with Michael Cohen over in their house where they are subpoena him to appear. The other thing you've got to be doing and not just waiting and quiddling your thumbs and mm-hmm. saying, oh, do you think Russia interfered with our election? Yeah. Yeah. We know they did. All the intelligence officials right. under both Obama and Trump have told us. So you've got to do things to protect our system. And that is, in part, uh, Senator Langford and I got $380 million out to the states almost immediately to shore up their equipment. And now we want to pass our Secure Elections Act, which I asked the AG nominee about, uh, which would require... Uh, if you get federal funding, would require a backup paper ballots as well as some kind of auditing. And we were gut-punched by the administration on that bill, and we're going to bring it up again. Yeah,
2: I know. I get that. But that doesn't tell us if the FBI's concerns that the the president was a Russian asset or being controlled by the Russians mm-hmm. was legitimate or not, which is a pretty huge That's question on its face, yeah, right? Right, right. right?
0: But- Remember, we we want to allow the Mueller investigation to be completed. There's no reason to think it's going to go on for two years. I'm sure it's going to be concluded at some point in the near future, and then we'll get the report. But no, you have right now the Senate, controlled by the president's party, is probably not going to have some major investigation going on. But the House is beginning to do that, and I'm sure whatever they're doing, they're making sure it doesn't do anything to screw up his investigation.
3: Senator, based on everything you've heard so far, and a lot of these stories that are coming out, we now know that the president went to extraordinary lengths to basically conceal everything about his meetings, five different meetings with Vladimir Putin, uh, the stances that he's taken toward Russia, you know, obviously one of our greatest rivals. Do you believe at this point that there's a reasonable chance that he's been compromised by the Russians?
0: I want to see the report, the Mueller report and all the investigation. I... Not been read in on that information. Obviously, no one's been read in on what happened with Vladimir Putin because the president destroyed those notes. But I will say this, when you look at the pattern here, something is going on with this president and Russia. Having people destroy the notes, no record of what happened. Now trying to lift the sanctions and looks like he's on the road to lift the sanction on Deripaska, who is someone, an oligarch who is very close to Vladimir Putin. We tried to stop that from happening, at least wait until the Mueller report is done to look at something like that. But they forged ahead to do that. His campaign chair indicted and um, convicted mm-hmm. for matters regarding Russians in Ukraine. Uh, you go down right down the road. Papadopoulos, so many people involved in his operation that had connections to Russia, as well as a number of news reports that would indicate there's even more going on. So I think me- you've got to let it come. It is extremely concerning. And then you tie that into what happened with the election. And if, in fact has been reported, I haven't seen this information, but polling data being transmitted, information being transmitted, Mm. timing of when he made announcements, it just, all of it smells. Is the
2: president a threat to national security?
0: I'll step back from this Russia question, because again, I've answered (laughs) this on the Mueller factor, but uh, let's look at it more Mm -hmm. broadly. So I hate governing from chaos. I think it's a very bad idea. And it sends messages to our allies that are the exact opposite that we want to send. Uh, Right after the president was elected, I went to Ukraine and the Baltics with Senator McCain, who we miss very much, and Senator Graham. And we did that because we thought we had to send a message that they are uh, friends of America, that we have their backs. And so the chaos of how they run foreign policy by tweet what happened with the tweet proclaiming and the announcement proclaiming that he was going to withdraw our troops from syria with no Mm -hmm. heads up to his own security people much less the allies such as israel Mm -hmm. um that's really bad do you think and so that creates problems in the world because some of the bad guys think well america doesn't have the backs of Baltics—they don't have the backs of Ukraine, or they don't have. They're going again. He's talking about withdrawing from NATO. So you can make major changes in foreign policy, but at least you have to be smart about how you're doing it. So in that way, I do not think this is good for our national security to conduct foreign policy by Twitter.
3: And of course, you just had these four Americans, two soldiers, and I guess two civilians killed in, in mm-hmm. Syria. Uh, would you draw a line between that chaotic process of announcing the withdrawal and pulling troops out of Syria and those uh, service members we, being this killed?
0: This horrific incident just happened, and my thoughts and prayers are with those families. What a horrible thing to happen. And I had always believed early on, and now we're at a different place in Syria, that we should have had a corridor to allow some of aid and help to the people there. I went and visited the refugees on the Jordan side, uh, Syrian refugees. And I remember back then we were at a moment in that war uh, when we thought actually the moderates were gaining. And I was there with Senator Graham and Senator Gillibrand and Senator Hoven. And I remember telling those Refugees. Well, they said, "Well, do you think we'll be out?" And we all said, "Yes, oh yes." We we, this is improving. You know, we think you'll be out. I every Christmas Eve, when we hold up a candle in church, I think about those people and this mother who said what she had seen happen to her family and to her neighbors would make stones cry. Mm -hmm. Those people are still Mm -hmm. in refugee camps, and so the fact that he abruptly took out our troops when we have at least been trying to bring some peace to the region and left the Kurds, the Kurdish soldiers who we have trained and have had our backs in conflicts, not just in Syria, uh, but also in Iraq. I think it's wrong.
2: So just to be clear, would you keep U.S. troops in Syria and for that matter, Afghanistan as well?
0: I would have kept them in for a transition, at the very least. I would have wanted to look at the intelligence. I wouldn't have immediately withdrawn them in that fashion because his whole claim was that ISIS had been defeated. There has definitely been progress against ISIS. There was progress under the Obama administration in the last few years when it comes to those territories, and then there was progress continued in the Trump administration under General Mattis, who is no longer there. And that's a good thing. But to say that mission accomplished was false. And that's, and those um, a- sad bodies that we now are bringing home to our country remind us of that.
2: Because as you know, one of your potential rivals, Senator Warren, has said she will withdraw troops from Syria mm-hmm. and Afghanistan. So you would distinguish your position from hers.
0: I would not have done it in the way uh, that the president did it. I would have kept them in as long as we felt comfortable with that territory that the Kurds could take it over and that they were protected and that the prisoners, of course, weren't going to be released, which is one of the things we heard, and worked it out in a diplomatic fashion. I don't think they should have stayed forever. I just think we should have done it differently. What about Afghanistan? Again, Afghanistan, you remember the old Colin Powell phrase, you break it, you own it. And so we continue to work with the Afghans on security. But again, I supported President Obama's move to bring down the number of troops. So talk about
2: government by chaos. We've got a government shutdown that seems to be extending no end in sight. You are known as somebody who works across the aisle, who forges compromises. Is there a compromise in the offing here? Is there a way to work something out where you give the president something, some limited steel fence or whatever, do a study about what comes next and get beyond this shutdown that is really hurting a lot of federal workers?
0: Well, I step back to what has happened. So we had, I was part of the bipartisan group that was negotiating mm-hmm. over the Dreamers and way back last year. And we had put together a security money over time for the border. And there was agreement from Republicans. Mike Rounds was the lead on this and Johnny Isaacson was supporting it as well as what you might consider the usual suspects of mm-hmm. Jeff Flake and Senator McCain and others. And so we had put together this package with border security and they gut punched us and said, no, we don't want it. And so that went away. Then you go into this budget year and they asked for, I believe, one point three billion. Um the House gave them that. The Senate went to one point six billion. Maybe they asked for a little more than one point three, but they the one point six billion and that was in the Senate bill and we all passed it. That's what the administration asked for this fall after not spending their last billion so dollars the year before. So that's where we are. So from our perspective, we did offer a long-term plan, rejected, even though it was bipartisan. Then you go into the fall, offer what they want, and even more than they want, put it in a budget. They all say it's fine. And then we go into the vote. And suddenly at the end of the month, the president says he wants more. When it comes to negotiating, yes, we've showed we were willing to negotiate some on this border security. But what he is asking for is this all out now up to $5.7 billion. He keeps going up in the amount every month. By next month, it'll be 6700000000 billion. You've heard of that kid's book, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll ask for a glass of milk. That's it's a little <laughs> bit irrelevant here, but I think it's more, I would call it this. It's a different version. If you give a mouse a cookie. And you give him the cookie, he throws it back at you after he watches Fox News. Because that is exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, my daughters uh, will like that. Uh. So listen,
3: you're, you're seriously thinking about running for president. So let me just ask you, this thing that Isikoff just alluded to, that you're known for working across the aisle and for finding compromise, is that a persuasive argument these days. Is that an argument that you would make in a presidential run, given that all the polarization and the division, is that something that actually will work?
0: You know what that is? That is a tool to get to an end. The fact that I'm good at it and you can do it, that's a positive, yes. But you can't run on just saying, hey, I've got friends on the other side. Not just forget about the Democratic primary right now. It's not what Americans are looking for. What Americans are looking for, though, is someone that will get things done, that will tell them the truth, uh, that's committed to bringing this country back together and wants to get results for them. And one of the ways you get results and you bring down pharmaceutical prices and you do something substantive about immigration reform and you do something about infrastructure and rural broadband is by working with people and not sending out tweets attacking them.
2: You uh, indicated this week that your family is now on board yes, big with surprise. running big for president. News. Well, well, you know,
0: <laughs> I did that because a lot of people use that as an excuse, <laughs> and I had wanted to follow up saying I was going to talk to them, but I most significantly noted that my in-laws were on board. Right. They, want well, in, yeah, they want you, well, you they to run. Yeah, well, they have t-shirts did that say I, uh, from my past campaigns that say, I'm Amy's mother-in-law, and you would be shocked at the number of people that say, that's so cool. In parades, um, your mother-in-law's on your side. Bad politics to Defy your in laws. Yeah, Let me but then you say, well, who else will she support? Uh,
2: but another member of your family who can, we can presume is on board, your daughter Abigail, a <laughs> budding comedian, who, and I found this on Twitter this morning doing some research, oh, wrote no. a senior Uh-oh. thesis <laughs> called It's No Joke: The Use of Humor by Presidential <laughs> Candidates you know from r- Kennedy to Trump through one-liners, talk shows, and okay. tweets. You is know, this your guidebook for I, running no, for president? No, you
0: know what's Really funny about this, of course. Again, I have not made a decision yet. Right, yeah. uh, but what's really funny about this was over Christmas, she handed me that paper and said to me, "Mom, this was my senior essay. It actually won the best political uh, science prize in Kudos con- her to uh, college." And she uh, at her college, and she handed it to me and said, "It's on the internet." I bet someone's going to ask you about it <laughs> All really right. Of course. The it. great investigative First said, on, she on Skullduggery. The she did not believe right. this. She said, you should read it. So I had read it a little like a mom would. Oh, cool. But this time I really read it and it was pretty interesting. And uh-huh. she went through... In modern, the modern era, and looked at, analyzed jokes that people actually laughed at. I think that was right. her standard, right. and kind of looked at how people, including Donald Trump, uh, had used humor in the campaign.
2: So do you think? And you it was th-
0: just, it was her political <laughs> science essay. She was <laughs> 17 years so old. So do
2: you think you can actually inject humor and keep people laughing in this no, no, presidential campaign? No, you can't. Have, that
0: cannot be the theme of running for president, <laughs> is to be funny. But I think the point is, is that. Um, the president has a way of going after people in hugely mean ways. And sometimes you have to stand your ground and make that very clear in a very serious way. And sometimes you have to throw back a little humor at this because it does become absurd when you have someone waking up at 5 a.m. and sending out a bunch of mean tweets before anyone wakes up. And so you have to find a way to stand your ground but not have him define the agenda. And so to take everything seriously, he says, and to spend your whole time talking about it, you are down the 2016 rabbit hole. Um, And that's strategic issues. I'm not Mm -hmm. actually talking about Secretary Clinton herself. I'm talking about some strategic decisions that were made. And so you're down that rabbit hole every single day instead of setting your own positive, optimistic, economic agenda, which I think is what Americans want in a candidate and in a president. So So when
2: when are you going to announce
0: I will let you know. <laughs> right. Come on, you already got the Hold first on. interview. So in our <laughs> new digs and Dirks.
3: So I was going to say. So this is the last thing I'll say is All that right. your your colleague, Senator Gillibrand, announced her run for the presidency on the Late Show with uh, Stephen Colbert that was considered cool the really cool thing is to announce a presidential run on a
0: podcast okay, I suggest yeah, right. you okay, do it is, on Skullduggery very interesting point <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm not at all yeah. Yeah. Really, and I can see it's such unbiased <laughs> place, that's what I enjoy about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll have all questions
2: right. for you in writing but okay. Uh, okay. Anyway, oh yeah just like we do
0: yeah, for yeah, the like record. my follow up on about uh, if, you can, yeah. if you'll go to jail that thanks for joining us on Skullduggery was great to be on thank you
2: We are now joined by a Senate Democrat who is not running for president, Sheldon, only uh, Sheldon Whitehouse. <laughs> despite, is, uh, <laughs>
3: despite the fact that his name is
2: Whitehouse. Yeah, yes, know. yes, yes. The
1: slogan uh, lends itself. All right. uh, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you, Michael. Wonderful right. to be with you.
2: All right. So uh, we heard uh, Bill Barr testify this week at his confirmation hearing saying that he does not believe that Robert Mueller is conducting a witch hunt and he should be allowed to complete his work. Is that good enough for you?
1: Not quite. I mean, first of all, I thought that Barr came through very well in terms of being kind of like gruffly sincere. Mm -hmm. And all of his top lines on the investigation were terrific. I know and trust Bob Miller. He'd never run a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. We're going to be as transparent as we possibly can be. And I'm not going to interfere. Right. Those are all exactly the right top lines. But then if you push a little bit into what he thinks about executive privilege, which Mm -hmm. might be a claim that the White House makes to shut the investigation out of public view, or how much of the Mueller report he's willing to, right. say in advance, he's willing to disclose, or why it is that the Office of Legal Counsel should be the entity in government that decides whether or not the president gets indicted rather than a court, mm-hmm. and that he's kind of effectively taking that off the table. You get below the top lines and into some of the more weedy details, and that's where things got a lot spongier. So yeah. he's going to have a lot of questions for the record that he needs to answer more clearly before I'm at all satisfied.
2: There there was one significant thing he said early on that when he made the point that if the president interferes in an ongoing investigation in which he has a personal or political stake, that that is an abuse of power. It's almost like he's handing Democrats a potential article of impeachment there, depending on Mueller's final findings.
1: He actually, in response to a similar question, added, it's a crime. Yeah. So. That goes pretty far, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. He he threw pretty hard pitches there. And I thought that was good stuff. Now, if you're being crafty and clever and lawyerly (laughs) and trying to put your best case out there, but keep your real plan's hidden. Yeah. Then yes, it's an abuse of power, and yes, it's a crime. But we can't indict a sitting president, well, so we're not going to do anything about it. So you know, even that, you can, you just kind of have to see through the mm-hmm. whole picture because I think, given the pressures that he's going to be subjected to, and unless and until we got a better sense of who's going to be around him, I mean, what if he keeps this creepy Whitaker character as Chief of Staff or Deputy Attorney General. I mean, at that point. Well, just final
2: point on that. If you don't confirm him, if you vote against him and you somehow find some Republicans who join you, you're stuck with Whitaker. (laughs) Isn't that an incentive (laughs) to quickly (laughs)
1: confirm (laughs) Bill Barr as (laughs) Attorney General? He's Barr confirmation insurance on two legs. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well, Uh so depending on uh, the answers that he gives on the record, for the record, could you be a yes vote for Bill Barr? And what about some of your other Democratic colleagues? Uh, I think I
1: could be. I think that, you know, we're at a stage where we desperately need somebody who will truly stand up for the department as an independent institution. And I do think that he gave a lot of very good signals in that regard. And his prior experience and his family's engagement with the department as, you know, career AUSAs and all of that put him in the right definitional category Mm -hmm. to be somebody who will stand up for the department. So Then again, you know, come the real pressures and... You know, Rush Limbaugh is on the airwaves about you and all that other stuff. We've seen strong men fail in front of Trump's pressures before. So I want to ask you about the legal
3: argument about whether a sitting president can be indicted. But you said on CNN uh, just recently that the quote is, we're certainly in a mode of moving toward indictment and charges of uh, the president. What's what's your basis for that and what, what statute well, are you referring to? the—
1: Uh, question had to do with looking at the Mueller investigation from outside and trying to figure out what status that is in and there's been a little bit of press hysteria about how oh the investigation's wrapping up oh it's winding down oh we're at the tail end of it which seems to have very little factual foundation to it and just now you have Rick Gates asked to have his sentencing extended because he's cooperating in multiple investigations, Mm -hmm. and you have this heavily, heavily redacted Manafort document which, as far as I'm concerned, there's a rough correlation between the amount of redaction and the amount of continuing investigation. So I think the signals are that it's continuing, and I was, in that answer, trying to say where do I think they are in their investigation, and that is they are past the stage of there being a case here that's worth pursuing, They're deep into investigation and preparing charges and things like that. But from what I can see, they don't have that critical piece of direct evidence that closes the case. They're still working in a large web of circumstantial evidence. So the we in that is putting myself into Mueller's Mm -hmm. head and trying to think where his investigation is.
2: Given everything we've learned, and especially over the last week, the New York Times story about the counterintelligence investigation that was launched by the FBI, the Washington Post story about the multiple, about the ways in which Trump, communicated with Putin with no record whatsoever, even retrieving over the and interpreter's notes. I mean, is it acceptable at this point to just wait for Mueller? Doesn't Congress have an obligation to step up to the plate here and conduct its own investigation? As far as I can tell, Senate Intel has not held a single public hearing with any fact witness at all so that all the testimony has been concealed from the public. We don't know what they've yep. gotten. And if this investigation is going to go on for some time, as you're suggesting, is that okay with you? Just, well, we'll just wait for Mueller. You know, the argument could be made that you've outsourced your constitutional responsibility to a official in the executive branch who you, who's told you nothing about what
1: he's doing. I think there are some very important baseline questions that we need to answer that should have been answered already
2: yeah we're two through the exercise
1: of proper congressional oversight instead of republican congressional bend oversight which to me is not (laughs) 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 good line not adequate (laughs) yeah and just like there are probably a lot of them but just think of these two as kind of openers we don't know to what extent this president has ongoing business relationships and transactions with russian figures or Saudi figures, right, for right, that matter. Right. And you saw how squirrely Barr got when I tried to ask him questions about the Well, one of the questions you, the here, you because, asked the senator
3: was, "Are the president's foreign, basically, are the president's foreign business interests and entanglements a counterintelligence concern for the FBI?" And the answer so is, flesh that out for us. What well, are the answer, you specifically talk about? The answer
1: obviously ought to be yes. But setting aside farming ourselves out to, you know, what Mueller should do. Congress should understand what foreign business entanglements the president of the United States has, period, end of story. That should not be even a debatable proposition. And were the shoe on the other foot, the Republicans and Rush Limbaugh would all have their hair on fire about the Democratic president and whatever nefarious stuff they were up to. So that really ought to be a slam dunk. The other thing that I think is really, really worth exploring and looking into is the extent to which the Republicans, particularly in the House, used their powers of congressional oversight in concert with and even in collusion with the Trump lawyers to cook up stuff to harass and attack the Mueller and related DOJ investigations. Because if you have the constitutional exercise of congressional oversight subverted Mm -hmm. to becoming collusive Mm -hmm. with an effort to obstruct investigations on behalf of a president who is the subject of the investigation, that's pretty big stuff for Congress to know. That would be a terrible abuse of Congress's okay, power. Uh, so those are just well, two things yeah. off the top of my head well, that right. are pretty obvious things where I think we need to nail down these facts.
2: All right. Well, look, I, soon, know, you're, anyway. I know you are not in the minority. You're not the majority. majority here. So what can you do about it? You're on the Judiciary Committee. As a start, I'll give you a suggestion. You've taken the this closed-door testimony from a lot of witnesses. Why haven't we seen it?
1: There hasn't been much closed-door testimony in judiciary. There's been some. There was Donald Trump Jr., for instance. Right. Well,
2: that's a good place to start, isn't it? I
1: think when when you're dealing with witnesses with whom Mueller is also dealing, there's where I think you want to be very scrupulous about trying to make sure we Get that stuff.
2: Yeah, but that, that goes directly Diane to my point. Once again, you're deferring to Mueller. you said we'll let Mueller handle that. You, you know. Yes,
1: but I would argue that there are some things that are very central to Mueller's investigation, like putting witnesses into a situation in which they can get an immunity and take away Mueller's ability to charge them and pressure them into cooperating right. because we've released information and given them assurances and so forth. So there is a an arena when you're dealing with actual witnesses in the Mueller investigation that you, or potential targets of the Mueller investigation, you've gotta be extra careful. But in terms of really basic things, like what are the facts of the president's business entanglements with the Saudis and the Russians? Mm -hmm. That Ah. ought to be a slam dunk and I, truly expect that House committees will start asking those questions and trying to get to the bottom of that. It's been too long that that has not happened. Let me just go
3: back to Don Trump Jr. for a second. Do you know whether Special Counsel Mueller has the transcripts of that testimony? Because there have been questions about whether he may have perjured himself
1: on the Trump Tower meeting. I want to be hyper careful about talking about that. So (laughs) I think that that um, Mueller has what he needs to make appropriate determinations, and he has already brought charges against people for having said untruthful things in congressional testimony, so clearly it's something that he sees on his radar screen as an avenue of inquiry.
2: Um, you have raised the question of uh, the president's financial entanglements, and um, I want to play you a clip that I think we have from a film documentary called Active Measures in Mm -hmm. which you appear, in which you talk about this and it's uh, quite provocative Mm -hmm. and let's play it and I want to have you elaborate on the point you were trying to make.
1: The Russians have a particular type of mark whom they go after. They go after somebody who has business resources, perhaps some shady morals so that they're amenable to the bribery or perhaps are in a difficult financial situation and either has political connections or aspirations. I've just described Donald Trump. He was the perfect mark for the Russians.
2: Okay, are you speculating there or do you have reason to believe the Russians compromised Donald Trump?
1: I do not have any more reason to believe that the Russians compromised Donald Trump than the general American public does from knowing about what the Steele dossier revealed and his pattern of conduct regarding Russia, both in terms of essentially yielding to all of their policy priorities and uh, being highly secretive about leaving any trails of what he's saying directly to Putin. So no, I do not have any outside knowledge. Mm -hmm. But what we do have and what this alludes to is that there are people who have studied Putin and Russia's methodology interfering with other countries, particularly the former Soviet Union countries and after that through the EU and then ultimately in the last election across the Atlantic and into the U.S. And they've developed some pretty good standard practices that you can identify. Mm -hmm. And um, CSIS, through their terrific Kremlin playbook report, and Atlantic Council, through their terrific Kremlin Trojan horse report, laid out all of this. And we've had hearings with Lindsey Graham in uh, our subcommittee Mm on it. And they do target people who have resources because they want to be able to play with them and give them sweet deals and things like that, and hook them in. Shady morals, because obviously people of high moral character will tell them to go pound sand. Mm -hmm. And either connections with or aspirations to politics, because ultimately their goal isn't to make money, it's to have moles who -hmm. will do Russian bidding in these other countries and support Russian interests. And so it's a well-established set of criteria which Trump fits perfectly. So it's just more circumstantial evidence that he's not only doing the right. kind of things right. that Russia sure. wants him to be doing if he were an agent, but he also is in the character of the kind of target that they seek.
3: So, would, so you believe this is still an open question and not something that you could dismiss, the possibility that he is compromised or yes. even an asset?
1: Yeah. Uh, of- yeah, I think, I don't know, an asset might be a little bit too... Strong, but I think from a counterintelligence point of view, to worry about somebody who's been compromised, Mm -hmm. that when hard decisions come, he'll be influenced by worry that various tapes get divulged or that various business interests will get harmed. But just to be whatever. clear,
2: I mean you mentioned the Steele dossier. You have no evidence that the, you know, infamous Golden Shower's tape nope. in the Steele dossier actually exists nope. Uh, nope, or that some not. of the other sensational allegations in the Steele dossier are actually true, nope. such as that Michael Cohen went to Prague to meet with Russian agents there to discuss payments to hackers. You have you have no evidence to to back any of that up, correct? Correct.
1: Okay. What all—all all that backs that up is the long-standing reputation for integrity of Steele, right? Confirmed by his repeated use as an asset by American law enforcement and intelligence yeah. agencies, and the fact that in the very, very broad array of allegations that come up in the dossier, yeah. very few of them have actually been. Well,
2: I just named two that are probably among the most sensational for which we still have zero evidence to support them. So that is kind of a red flag right there, isn't it?
1: The tape may be a little hard to support, and we probably wouldn't have evidence of that because that would be squirreled away in a Kremlin vault someplace to be used only at the right time. (laughs) Um, With respect to whether Cohen had that trip, I think there's still an open...
2: Well, he, he after that, cooperating his, with Mueller, so has we, said no, and certainly he wasn't charged he was with lying charged. to the Senate when he denied it, yeah. or he hasn't been charged with any underlying offense related, related to, to payments yeah. to hackers. So, that's, so that's, that would that's, seem right. to indicate that there's not much there, right?
1: That would seem, those would seem to indicate that. Right. But, but opening minute. with a, his denial with a clean passport page when you don't need a passport to travel <laughs> yeah, 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 there fair, is nice. also a sign. Yeah, all right. Let, let, me, let, me, let
3: me just okay. ask one legal question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you alluded to, before to the question of whether a sitting president can be indicted. You're a former U.S. attorney. Um, you would have been bound by OLC opinions and the U.S. Attorney's Manual. There are two OLC opinions uh, that say that a sitting president can't be indicted. First of all, what is your counter argument? And second of all, is there any I mean, those opinions are not gonna be overturned in this
1: administration. So there's no real
3: practical expectation that he could be indicted.
1: Well, from a practical point of view, you would want to take a look at, for instance, if it came sort of live enough that there was a real question here, whether the United States Senate or the House, which have constitutional roles in an impeachment and whose roles are defined in part by the presence or absence of an ability by the executive to indict for that conduct, whether that creates sufficient standing that the House or the Senate could ask the court that question and say, look, we will never get an answer to this question if it's left to the Office of Legal Counsel because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy left to the Office of Legal Counsel. So the only way we get an answer to this question through the courts of the country who are determined since John Marshall to be the body that says what the law is and what the Constitution says, is to find that there is standing in this case and have the court opine on it. And without discrediting OLC, its job is to provide the most executive branch-friendly reading of whatever it looks at. And courts, I think, could easily disagree. I think that the arguments are primarily ones of convenience and damage to the interests of the republic. With respect to the convenience arguments, I think those have already been blown up in the Nixon and Clinton cases Mm -hmm. because they said you can inconvenience a president with mere private litigation. And with respect to the interests of the nation, you can say that having a president who has to go through a criminal procedure is traumatic for the nation and shouldn't have to happen. But if you have a president who's committed a crime Mm -hmm. You can argue that it's equally traumatic for the nation to have to have no remedy while there is ongoing criminal activity in the White House, as long as the president's party, so what, party what are, is are you talking defend... about?
2: Actually, going to court as the Senate filing a, a what kind of motion? How do you get standing? What's the case? Well,
1: that's, those are questions that I think we're going to have to okay. uh, look at. What is the triggering moment that might give the House or the Senate standing to take that question? By the point?
3: way, you alluded before to the possibility that your that House Republicans colluded. I think that was your word with the White House to potentially obstruct this investigation. Are you alleging a possible crime against your colleagues in the House, your Republican colleagues in the House?
1: Well, whether it amounts to criminal conduct or not, clearly the efforts of the House Republicans were designed to impede and throw sticks into the spokes of the Mueller investigation, to discredit it, to slow it down, to foul it up, to provide alternative narratives, potentially even to communicate to potential witnesses and jurors their uh, alternative narratives and thereby influence the proceedings, all of that. So if that is what they did, the only thing that stops that being a crime is the contact with Trump's lawyers and the corrupt intent. The other elements are all there. You You can show in abundance that they tried to interfere with the Mueller investigation. Whether they did that with the requisite corrupt intent were one bad email away from that becoming a But you're saying that reality. needs to be investigated. It definitely needs to be investigated in my view. Who's going to do that
2: investigation?
1: I hope uh, the House because it would be on their side. You right. get into weird issues of comity with your own <laughs> uh, fellow members of Congress. Yeah. But you know, who knows, maybe uh, Mueller bumps into somebody who has access to one of those emails or one of those Last calls. question, how
2: long is the shutdown gonna go on?
1: Until the Republicans in the Senate put enough pressure on Mitch to call the vote on the bills that will open the Senate that the House has already passed, will open the government that the House has mm-hmm. already passed. They will, I believe, pass the Senate by veto-proof majorities, and the pre- president will have to come up with something, probably oh. toss it to the courts mm-hmm. with a national emergency declaration.
2: Well, there's lots more we can ask uh, uh, here. I know you're pressed for time, but I appreciate you coming, and I hope we have a chance to do this again.
1: I look forward to it. Thanks to both of you for really extraordinary work you've done in the uh, Fourth Estate in these (laughs) difficult times.
3: Thanks so much, Senator. appreciate it.
2: So uh, a lot to digest here, but uh, here's my principal takeaway from these two interviews. A subtle but real difference in the way Senator Whitehouse addressed the question of whether he's going to support Bill Barr's confirmation and the way uh, Senator Klobuchar did. Whitehouse indicated he's not there yet, but sounded like he was leaning to voting for Barr. Uh, Klobuchar, known as a more moderate senator. Senator, then White House, said she can't imagine yeah, all uh, the circumstances she will, she will not be under which she'll vote for him. Um, sounds like uh, presidential politics is yeah, playing gee, a role here. Yeah, right. one, yeah. No, no, I
3: mean, because as you say, yeah. they represent different wings of the Democratic Party. She is much more uh, moderate. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a consensus builder. He's, right. uh, you know, kind of a Flaim-throwing liberal in right. a lot of ways um, but so she's running would, for president but she but she's but she's running for president and i think in this democratic electorate mm-hmm. there's just no way in the world that you can she hasn't announced yet so she looks like she may be close to announcing all but, and if the if all one but of the and it's one of the first yeah. things you do before you announce is to vote for Donald Trump's attorney general who's an right. ideological conservative a movement conservative as we yeah. used to call them that's a problem. Right.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, look, I I think at the end of the day, certainly every Democratic senator who is running for president, which is quite a few of them, is going to vote against Barr. But I think almost all Democrats will. And I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the day if White House, seeing the direction of all his colleagues, ends up voting. Yeah, he's against not going be the only.
3: Democrat on yeah. the committee who votes for Bill yeah. Barr, But
2: knowing full well that he's going to get confirmed anyway because Republicans control the Senate and, this, th- yeah. and they will not be stuck with Matt Whitaker totally unqualified. It's in, not a vote that's going to cost them General. a lot. Right.
3: Right, right. And yet Bill Barr mm-hmm. is going to be confirmed. Right, because, you, right. know, it's a, you know, there's just no chance in the world that he's going to lose right. any Republican But let's
2: votes. talk about some of the substance from the Barr confirmation hearing, because, you know, there's so many takeaways. Uh, you know, certainly his refusal to commit to following the advice of Justice Department ethics advisors. I loved his exchange that was with classic Senator Barr. Harris, in which he was trying to nail him down on, on what basis would you not follow the advice of Justice Department ethics uh, officers And she'd say—and Barr said, if I disagreed with it.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. because he's the head of the agency. Yeah. And unless there's a a conflict of interest, if it's ambiguous, as some of these examples have been— He's the person who decides. The head of the agency decides. And this is a guy, as we've talked about on this podcast before, who's kind of a maximalist when it comes to executive power. He's in the executive branch. He's not going to give that up. Right. You know, He's uh, he's going to make the decision. He's a supremely confident guy. Right. We're not really used to seeing people like Bill Barr up there for yeah. confirmation <laughs> hearings because they tend to be much more— Uh, diplomatic diplomatic and and, pliant and you know uh, because they're trying to get confirmed and he is diplomatic but he's also very confident
2: right let's not forget that uh, pregnant five-second pause when asked about whether he would jail journalists for doing their job which was the exact question of senator Klobuchar.
3: yeah And, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, wow, did he stumble here? Because it sounded like he wasn't just talking about holding a reporter in contempt because they won't turn over their notes that would reveal who their source is. In other words, that the Justice Department would go after the source, the leaker, as opposed to the journalist. But what he said was that he could imagine a scenario where a news organization runs through a red flag by Putting stuff out there that might harm the country, and then you could hold a reporter in contempt and so that was uh, made me a little nervous yeah. on the other hand, you know we 've known Barr for twenty five years right. at least he 's one of the most press friendly attorneys right. general that I ever covered. He is fairly transparent in his own behavior right. you know he's uh partly because of that confidence I was talking about he 's willing to say a lot of things that other politicians at that level wouldn't say, yeah. you know, I have my doubts about whether he would have a really aggressive anti-press uh, policy, but who knows? All, one thing I can say is that when I saw that mm-hmm. uh, exchange, I got a little nervous, and uh, I was uh, emailing with an old friend of his who's a lawyer and who worked with him at the Justice Department, and he said, don't worry, I don't think he meant you and Isakoff, but if he did... I'll represent you
2: guys. Well, okay. I'll take some small comfort (laughs) and we have potential representation. But look, on the substance, though, there's a substantive point that I think a lot of people have missed in the Barr confirmation hearings, and that's about the Mueller report. And, you know, the idea that that's going to answer all our questions, I, I asked both senators about this. And, you know, Barr, not only did he not commit to releasing the full report. He also poured some cold water on the idea that this is going to be an expansive report that's going to resolve all the many issues about Trump and Russia. I mean, it may just be a very limited report that says, here are the people that I've prosecuted, here are the people I declined to prosecute. How much substance it goes into, we have no idea. There are grand jury issues, secrecy issues, there's executive privilege Privilege issues uh, that could restrict what Mueller ends up writing in the report. And my, you know, the soapbox I've been on now for quite some time is Congress stop like abdicating the responsibility and outsourcing to Robert Mueller. Do your job. It's only Congress that can require public answers to all these questions. They should do their own investigating. They should have public hearings. And we should hear from these major fact witnesses.
3: Right. And I think Barr suggested that the Mueller report could end up being essentially what they call a prosecution memo or a declination memo, which is to say, When the prosecutors will send up to the attorney general a report that says, we want to indict these people, here's the legal justification for it, or we're going to decline prosecution, and here's why. And in both instances— There are a lot of reasons often why that information won't become public. In the declination instance, they never release that information publicly because there's, why would you put out there who you're not going to prosecute because you end up tarring people with evidence even if you're not going to, and then you're not going to actually prosecute. And also
2: let's remember the post-Comey rule that I think is now ironclad for everybody at DOJ, which is you don't opine on non-charged conduct. If Mueller's not indicted Somebody, he can't opine about whether it's the president or somebody close to him's conduct was irresponsible or reckless. He can't make those judgments. All he can say is, I prosecuted these people. I didn't prosecute them.
3: Now, as Attorney General, if Barr is confirmed, he will have a lot, some discretion in in what becomes public because he can make a decision that it would be in the public interest to release the report or a large amounts of the report, as long as it's done lawfully, which is to say that they don't release, say, grand jury information. So we'll just have to see what happens. There's one other last point I want to make about Barr, which I thought was fascinating um, in the hearing, which is I thought that his audience uh, was as much perhaps even more Donald Trump than it was actually members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And normally when people say that it's because people about are currying they're favor. talking about currying yeah. favor with Trump, you know, right. going on Fox News so yeah. that you can curry favor with him. This was different. This was Bill Barr laying down a marker, drawing a line in the sand and basically saying As he actually literally said, I'm not going to be bullied. And if I'm your attorney general, you should know now exactly what my positions are on all of these very tough issues. I am not going to be your patsy. I'm going to do what I think is right And um, I'm not gonna, you know, mess with the rule of law. Which
2: could make this dynamic between Trump and Barr one of the most interesting stories of the year to watch as that unfolds. And of course, we will be watching and talking about it on Skullduggery.
3: Thanks to Senators Klobuchar and White House for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekends. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Pod. And now you can watch the podcast on YahooNews.com and Roku Saturdays and Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you soon.